How are we doing? Are we okay? Spring is here. He declared by faith. Summer's coming. Not sure I've got enough faith for that. Anyway. The good news is that I'm starting a new series today. Who's pleased to see the back of the last one? <laughs> I joke. Um, do you know what? As I, as I plot and plan uh, the preaching program, I'm looking always for a progression and I'm looking for a balance and sometimes a counterbalance. I, I'm looking for a variety. And I think it's fair to say that the last few weeks have been quite edgy. And so, you know, in, in the next few weeks, uh, as we lead ourselves into Easter, I just thought it was important for us to remind ourselves who God is. Remind ourselves what God is like and to take a bit of a deep dive, if you like, into some of the aspects of his character. And then to ask the question, what does that mean to us? You, you probably heard me say many times that we must be really careful to get our gospel grammar right. And essentially that means that we cannot successfully do the works that God's word demands until we've stepped into the fullness of grace. So, so the key is, it is not so much what we do, the key is what he's already done. Or I could put it another way, that the key isn't who we are, the key is who he is. Hence this series is entitled, God is. And the last series is focused on us stepping out as kingdom people. And as I explained, the dangers are, are that we, we hide away or, or we back off from much of that. Another danger is that we just plow ahead in our own strength. And so the key message out of which this series is birthed is that we need to take who God is into all the circumstances of our life. In my head, the outline goes something like this. It starts with, with number one, what is God really like? And then number two, how did Jesus model that character? And then number three is what expectations then does that place on us? And then fourthly, to tie it up, how does the Holy Spirit help us to, to grow in and live out God's character? So that's the, the, the broad approach we're going to take each week. Clearly the character of God is a vast topic. I've got five weeks. And in those five weeks we're going to look at God is good today. We're going to look at God is faithful and God is just and God is holy and God is merciful. I reckon that will give us a really lovely rounded picture of who God is. And you know what I reckon this leads to to quite a tantalising question, compelling question. And it, it is this, what, what would it look like 
if God's people, not the person next to you, say that's you, what would it look like if God's people truly were good and faithful and just and holy and merciful? Don't you think the world might look possibly a little bit different? Okay, let's dive in then today. God is good. So, key verses. I forgot to press start on my stopwatch. That gives me a bonus five minutes. Praise the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Number two. Romans 8, 28. And we know, and we know that we know that we know, that all things... Work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. Think of that picture for a second. Will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Quick aside, who's doing the pursuing there, folks? Just a thought. Okay, so those are the sort of key verses that that paint the picture. You know, back in the day, okay, we used to say, Barry's going to help me. God is good. All the time. Thank you, Ali. All the time. God is good. You know, that's a little twee, but it's also true. The question is, what does it mean? Is, is, God, is God our fairy godmother? Is God like, like a genie in a bottle? We can call on when we need him. Another question, how, how does the world, the culture of the world, the media of the world, the thought, patterns and principles of the world, how do they define Good. And then, then a sort of knock-on question for that is, how do we, how do you, in your own thinking, shaped by your lifetime of experiences, how do you then define good? And then, of course, the, the key question is, what is good in God's eyes? What I would say is that if God is good all the time, I think we ought to know what that means. Now, now, forgive me here, if we can just throw up the next, next picture. Who remembers the good life? Okay, good life is a show. Do you know, I, I'm going to shock you now. That was produced in 1975. Okay, who now feels refreshingly old and wise? Excellent. So in that picture, you see Richard Bryce, Paul Eddington, Penelope Keith, and Felicity Kendall. And, and the storyline here is, is an ongoing sort of banter and conflict between the good family. I never spotted that, the good life. I never, never figured that one out. Anyway, shows how frightfully young I was in 1975. So the conflict between the good, fa- good family is to give it all up and to pursue self-sufficiently, basically by turning their guard into a glorified vegetable patch. Next door... We have the frightfully respectable Ledbetters, and they're still trying to climb the same corporate ladder that their friends, the goods, used to be on, and still trying to pursue 
middle class bliss. Which makes me wonder, if we're, if we're after the good life, which, which of those two should we be pursuing? Where, where should we be aiming? And a big sort of all-encompassing question, what is the good life for you? Okay, so having sort of tossed that out there as a teaser, let's go through my outline of four points as I said I was going to. The first one is, what is God really like? Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Great verse. James, sorry, James 1 verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Matthew 7 verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you know, God is, God is habitually, perpetually, inevitably good by nature all the time. You know, God satisfies us, as we read here, he satisfies us with good things and God gives us good gifts. Which leads back into Romans 8.28, which says, we know that all things work together for our good. I'll be honest, that's one of my favourite promises. You know, the fact that, that, that my God, watching over my life, is skillfully and intentionally, sometimes surprisingly, knitting and working everything together for good purposes. You know, as I read, I read that verse, he's doing that in every situation. He does that often in in surprising and unexpected ways. You know, he does it whether we can see clear evidence of it or not. And as I think about the context of of that verse, the reality is that other influences, including, dare I say, occasionally you yourself, are actually tugging in the opposite direction. Do you know what? This is no stunning revelation. I think there is plenty of bad out there. So if Romans 8.28 still applies, the key then for me is is, is seeing and recognising what God is doing. If that's the reality, seeing and recognising what he's doing. And that, of course, requires the, the discerning eye of faith. But you know what? You also need to know what you're looking for. How do you discern and distinguish between the good and the not so good? And here's my my revelation. My revelation is that good isn't necessarily always quite what you're expecting. Let me put it like this. What are we expecting? Are we expecting chocolate and roses? Are we expecting 
good to be affluence and influence? Are we expecting it to be safety and comfort? With a shout out to the last series. Because if so, I suspect quite frequently we'll be disappointed. Because you know what? God has something far more noble, something far more lofty and godly in mind when he promises us that he will work all things together for our good. Let let me throw this one at you and see if it bounces back. What if rather rather than stuff, rather than pleasure, rather than comfort, God is about developing character. What if for, good, for God, working all things together for good looks like the formation of patience? What if for God, it's cultivating the ability within every single one of us to respond with compassion and mercy? What if God working good in our lives is is about his eternal purposes over the long haul rather than our pleasure and comfort in the short term? Perhaps good looks like wholeness and fullness. Perhaps it looks like growth and maturity. Perhaps it looks like serving and giving. Do you know, God is undeniably, unquestionably, constantly good. But it might not be quite what you've been led to believe by Hollywood and fairy tales. Here's my, my definition of goodness. Are you ready? Goodness is three things. Championing the character of God, hosting the presence of God, and releasing, I start off by calling it the resources of God. I've changed it now to releasing the fruit of the Spirit of God. I'll say that again. My definition of the word goodness is goodness is championing the character of God, hosting the presence of God, and releasing the fruit of the Spirit of God. So if it is good, it will always demonstrate, represent, reveal God's character. True goodness will always, will always feature the outworking of, of those beautiful and powerful attributes of his nature. You know, if if someone wants your help and you want to give them something good, point them to the character of God because that is what they really need. You know, goodness also hosts the presence of God. You know, goodness will always bring a holiness into the room. Goodness always results in a sense of conviction, not condemnation, conviction. Goodness goodness seeks the wisdom 
of the Holy Spirit and always asks what God is doing and what God is saying. Thirdly, in my definition, if it's good, it will always be bursting with ripe Holy Spirit fruit. So goodness carries with us, with it, an inherent joy and peace. You can recognize goodness by its patience and its kindness. Goodness is always looking for, for ways to love and to give and to serve. But it also stands up for righteousness and for truth and for justice. Do you know what? Those are the priorities of the goodness of God. And that's what an encounter with his goodness should look like. Not, not chocolate and roses. Not more stuff. Not more warm, fuzzy happiness and pleasure for me. But character and presence and fruit. And as we know, that often comes chiseled in fire. It's often hard, earned, patiently planted and watered. Number two, how did Jesus model the goodness of God? Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I love that verse. I wish I had more time. I'd like you to notice the order there. Holy Spirit anointing. Presence and power leading to good works and healing all. But the idea here is, I think it's fairly straightforward. The idea is that everywhere Jesus went, he was doing good. Jesus was doing good when he healed the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus was doing good when he forgave the woman caught in adultery. Jesus was doing good when he called that miserable tax collector Zacchaeus out of the tree and invited himself for tea. That was an outworking of the goodness of God. Think about my definition, how apt. Jesus was doing good when he overturned the tables in the temple. Jesus was doing good when he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Jesus was doing good when he taught the Beatitudes. Jesus was doing good when he blessed the little children. Jesus was doing good when he restored Peter. Always championing the character of God. Always hosting the presence of God. And always releasing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Number three. What expectations does that then put on us? A few verses for you. Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Romans 10, verse 15, quoting Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Matthew 5, verse 20, 50, sorry, Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Out of that, you can reasonably simply deduce that we all have a calling to good deeds. Ephesians 5, uh, 2, verse 10, we spoke on this recently. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And when I taught on this a few weeks ago, I think I probably said something like this, that, that good works should be the overflow of the transforming power of God at work in our lives. If that really is at work, if we are open to that, if we're inviting God in, then, then these good deeds are not going to be something stressful and straining and we're going to have to dig up and stir up and fight out. It's going to be an overflow of that transforming power of God on the inside of us. So here's my question. My question is, how can we be a conduit of this goodness? Can we take the goodness of God that we're talking about, can we take that with us into every room? In any given scenario, how can, how can the goodness of God be the most powerful influence in the room? Do you know what? As a vessel of the Holy Spirit, you take the goodness of God everywhere you go. You're a, you're a host. You're, you're a conduit. You should be an overflowing well. Everyone that you come across should have an encounter with the goodness of God. With his strong character. With his glorious presence. And with his transforming Holy Spirit fruit. For a second, I just want you to imagine yourself in some random scenario tomorrow as you go about your day. Let me ask this question. The people in that room with you, what are they going to get from you? That's where God's been challenging me this week. What are they going to get from you? We're supposed to be conduits for a member of the Holy Spirit. So will they get from you what we could lump together as, as flesh? Are they going to get a critical spirit? Are they going to get a simmering frustration? Are they going to get an anxiety and a fear? Or will it be the goodness of God? Will it be his holiness? Will it be his wisdom? Will it be his grace? And then just, just for a second, as you replay that scenario in your mind, consider the difference in potential impact between those two options. So what demand then does the goodness of God place on us? I think the demand is that we take the goodness of God with us into every room.
which leads neatly to number four. Number four is how does the Holy Spirit help us grow in and live out God's character? Here's a, a frequently given statement. The statement is this, you cannot give what you do not have. Pretty straightforward. You cannot give what you do not have. Which is why I started with those key verses, with Psalm 34, verse 8, which says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. First of all, you have to taste it. First of all, you have to, you have to see it. Psalm 23, also in those key verses. First of all, you must allow God to anoint your head with oil so that your cup is ever running over. And you need to live in a place where God's goodness and his mercy are pursuing you, literally chasing you down. You cannot give what you do not have. First of all, you must taste and see his goodness, which means that you need frequent encounters with his goodness. It's what you need because you cannot give what you do not have. As I was preparing for this, I can remember exactly when and where I was. God dropped something into my spirit and I thought, you know, that's far too clever for me. I'll share it with everyone and I'll pretend it was me and then I'll go, that was impressive, Jamie. I've just blown that. As a quick story, the story is from Exodus 33. And uh, in this story, Moses has, has been up the mountain. He's been for days in the glory cloud. He's been meeting with God. He's received the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. He comes down the hill. And what have those numpties been doing? They've been making a golden calf to worship. As a consequence, God says this to Moses. He says, Exodus 33 verse 3, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. The promise is still there. But, he says, I'm not going with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might just destroy you on the way. I'm with God on this, to be honest. So what did Moses do? Moses retreated to what they called the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was, was some way outside the camp and it was a tent where people could go to meet with God face to face. So Moses goes to do some business with God and Moses pleaded with God not to take away his presence. And do you know what? The, the Lord agrees. But, but Moses wants a little bit of reassurance. Essentially, Moses asks God to show him his glory. Verse 20, God said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Reason being, that would just be too much. But here's the bit that I want you to see. The verse before that, verse 19. And the Lord says, I will cause all my 
goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. God says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. Not not my holiness. Not, not Not my awesome power. You know, I reckon Moses had already had plenty of encounters with God's justice and righteousness. Plenty of encounters with his his salvation and deliverance, if you know the story. He's saying, what you need, my son, what you need, my friend, is an encounter with my goodness. Because you cannot give what you do not have. First, you must taste and see that the Lord is good. We all need frequent encounters with his goodness. It made me think for a little bit. My my personal encounters with with his goodness, I can summarize it into three little groups. The first one, my encounters have been in his word. You know, there are times where I've received such, such revelation and such inspiration and such, such motivation. You know, you know, reading again the stories of Jesus, you know, catching his heart, being amazed at his brilliance. And in those times, I've had encounters with just how good he is, and I've tasted and I've seen in his word. Second place, as I've had counters, encounters of his goodness in his presence. You know, as we sing, we do it every week, we sing those great big God songs. You know, we have those, those, those powerful, awesome, realigning times of praise. But God is placed back on the throne where he belongs. And we've fallen in a rightful place at his feet and we sing how great and how good and how strong and how amazing he is and what he's done. We've also had, had those kind of precious and sweet and intimate times in worship. You know, for me, as I look back over the many years of my life, you know, I think of the encounters that I've had with the goodness of God. If you like, I've been in the cleft of the rock and God's placed his hands. So, so just to dim my view a little bit so I can see just a glimpse of the glorious goodness of God. Not too much, I think it would freak me out. And the third place that, that, I've, that I've had encounters with his goodness, the only way I can express it really is, is out in the action. Those of you here, here on Sunday night and Pete Reed talking about Peter stepping out the boat. You know, those times that you've stepped out of the boat and you haven't sunk. (laughs) Encounters with his goodness. The the times where God has has surprised you with the outworkings of his amazing grace. How many times have we seen what God has done and we've gone just, wow. I could never have predicted that. I couldn't have written that script. God, you've gone far beyond Anything that I could dream of or imagine. You know, what about the times that, that God has provided remarkable solutions to immovable problems in your life? You know, Romans 8:28, he's done that time and time again, whether you've realized it 
or not. For me, this week, I walk my dog every day of the week, but on Tuesday mornings, that's when I start to ruminate the message. And this week, as in every week, I think, God just graciously downloads. This week, the message just came to me in about 20 minutes. I'm typing away on the recording messages on my phone, just, you know, and I'm just thinking, wow, God. You know, you've just poured this. I couldn't have thought of this stuff. It's all ties together. You give me one, two, three, four. Do you know, that's the goodness of God. If I was that kind of person, I'd swear by the goodness of God. Do you know what? It's in those places that Exodus 33, the goodness of God has passed in front of me. It's not always been chocolate and rose petals. It's not always been what I expected or even what I desired. But you know what it has been? It's powerful revelations of his character and of the sweetness of his presence and of the harvest of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So to wrap up very quickly, God is very, very good. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. in, In all things, God is working all things together for your good. That that may be in spite of the bad things. You know, in in the middle of the storm, God is still working all things together for your good. Because goodness is who he is. And goodness is what he does. Just just very simply today, I'm going to give you a two-fold challenge. And it goes like this. Number one, Two questions to take to the Lord this morning. Number one, do you put yourself often enough in places where you can have encounters with his goodness? You know, which for me is in his word, in his presence, and in his purposes. You might want to consider that today. Do you put yourself in those environments. Because first of all, you have to taste and see. You know, I'm sure when I said at the start, God is good, no one's there resisting, fighting, saying I'm not so sure. So that's challenge number one. Do you put yourself in those places often enough? And then challenge number two is, if you are a vessel of the Holy Spirit, which you are, How can you take the goodness of God into the next room? Wherever that is for you. Maybe it's the classroom tomorrow morning. Maybe it's it's the office. Maybe it's the photocopier. Maybe it's the gym. Wherever it is, you take the goodness of God with you into every room. The question is, how do you do that? Because do you know what? Out there, They badly, badly, badly need the goodness of God. And because that is what you and I are called to carry and to call to be and called to do. My final line and my final thought. Do you know what, church? I'm convinced it is time to 
unleash his goodness. Amen. We're going to pray and we'll ask the team if they wouldn't mind coming forward. And uh, why don't you stand, folks? Stretch those legs. That would be a good thing to do. And I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to leave you to float those two challenge thoughts. The ministry corner over here will be open uh, if you want prayer this side. If you want to come and do business with God, it's open this side. Just challenge you to take those two to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are good. Thank you, Lord, that I can sleep peacefully in my bed tonight because I know that you are good. I know that I, that we are in your hands. I know that you have good plans for us. I know that you have good gifts for us. I know that you're doing all you can to work the circumstances of life round for your good. God, thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you'd sink that truth, that reality so deep into the hearts of every person in this room that they truly would taste, that they truly would see that this wouldn't just be theory in a book, but this would be the reality practically in their lives, your goodness. And then, Father, as you fill us up with that very same, as we go out into the world, into our home situations, into our work situations, would we be aware that we carry that very goodness with us. Lord, that we might unleash it into this world this week. Wow. How amazing would that be? So Lord, we give you these next few minutes. Holy Spirit, come speak to us, come stir in our hearts as we consecrate ourselves afresh to you and worship. In Jesus' name.